You're going to love this. Just love it. This is your broadcast live from Los Angeles on the Pacifica Radio Network's KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, 91.7 FM on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast on KYAQ. Oh, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, and of course, iTunes, and many more. Welcome to your broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com with a lot, a lot of news today. A lot of breaking news today, which we'll get to momentarily. And hopefully, hopefully, if the radio gods are with us, finally, finally, your calls at 818-985-5735. Write it down, 818-985-KPFK. I've been trying to get to calls for... I don't know how many weeks now. Uh, Today's the day. We're going to do it, even though I keep getting undermined by the news and the breaking news that keeps coming. One way or another, we're going to get to your calls. So if there's anything on your mind, feel free to give us a call. Uh, If it has anything to do with what we are talking about today, all the better. one of the thing among the things we're going to be talking about is this uh, this Indiana business uh, concerning uh, Governor Mike Pence. And this uh, Religious Restoration Act uh, nonsense that's going on uh, in Indiana right now this week. Uh, We've got a new Mark Fuller exclusive for you from Bradblog.com. He, of course, is the uh, federal judge who was arrested for beating his wife in uh, uh, an Atlanta hotel room. Looks like he may get away with it. We'll see. Uh, his attorney gave uh, gave me some exclusive response about uh, about the defense that he is now putting forward concerning uh, why this judge with a lifetime appointment to the federal bench uh, was was caught seemingly on a 911 call beating the crap out of his wife. We'll talk about that shortly. Also, if we can get to it, mandatory voting. Uh, President Obama brought this up sort of recently. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I will give you mine uh, if we can get to it. But uh, are you in favor of mandatory voting? Well, I'll give you a little preview right now. I'm against it, except under one very important condition. I'll tell you that condition in a little bit. But how about you? Feel free to give us a call, 818-985-5735. 
three, five, uh, that and much more uh, coming up momentarily. But first, some breaking news that we're going to get to uh, very quickly here. Uh, important for those of us who live out in California in the middle of the worst uh, drought ever, uh, at least on recorded record out here in uh, in California. Uh, new mandatory water restrictions will be put in place. Finally, uh, for uh, a quick update, quick summary of that, let's go to our producer and my co-host on the Green News Report, Desi Doyen. What do we have? What are the restrictions that uh, Governor Jerry Brown is now putting in place concerning this uh, horrific drought and these new mandatory uh, water restrictions or rations or whatever they're called. Well, you'll be shocked. Shocked, I tell you, to hear yeah. that it only applies to urban water users and not to the agriculture industry that uses 80 percent of the state's yes. water. So it's basically stuff like, uh, oh, we're going to rip up the medians in the on public lands that have, uh, you know, like road medians that have gardens on them. Those are going to be ripped out and replaced with drought-tolerant landscaping, uh, cemeteries, golf courses, other large users that have landscape lawns and stuff. They will all be restricted. There's also going to be restrictions on new homes and new commercial buildings that have, uh, you'll have to have drip irrigation systems. They won't be allowed to use fresh drinking water. And essentially, when you when you do the math on this, you know, urban use is only 15% of state right. California use. So if he wants to cut the uh, mandatory water rationing will cut water use by 25%. So you're talking about cutting 25% off of 15% of users, and that's really only amounts to a little bit less than 4% uh, yeah. of all state use. So uh, mandatory rationing, but only for those of us who are you know, watering our lawns, if I had a lawn. Right. Uh, the 80% used by agriculture Nothing. Nothing for them? No restrictions uh, yet no, for them? No restrictions yet okay. for them. They are going to be required to increase their reporting requirements. You know, And that, that, that is a big deal, but they're not really going to accelerate a whole lot of the new legislation that was passed back in November. Some mm -hmm. of that gets accelerated. Um, you know, There are going to be some other big official water policy uh, changes that are going to be made that are going to be um, implemented, like you know, okay. increasing water transfers and things like that. There will be, however, this is interesting and new, a rebate program, an emergency temporary rebate program for homeowners who try to buy new water efficient appliances so that will be coming up soon too so that is a good news thing for for homeowners <clears throat> good news i guess but not enough uh, jerry brown the governor out here made the uh, made his statement today from uh, the mostly snow bear phillips station in the sierra nevada mountains according to nbc he said today we are standing on dry grass where there used to be where, where i'm sorry where there should be Five feet of snow right now. This historic drought uh, demands unprecedented action, he said. Therefore, I'm issu issuing an executive order mandating substantial water reductions across our state. In fact, we are snowpack this year is about 5 percent of what it should be, of what the average is for this time of year. That's a record low, by the way. Record low, which means it's going to be a long, hot, and dry summer at this rate. Maybe many of them to come. So that's some breaking news there. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. She will be back in a little bit, of course, with the Green News Report, as always. And I'm still trying to decide uh, which of the two uh, Green News Reports uh, we should run today. I think we might need the funnier of the two, Des. So get those queued up. Um, because we had a very, very funny Green News report, I think, uh, recently, and you didn't get to hear it on this show, so maybe we'll use that one. Okay, other breaking news before we get to the show proper. 
According to the Washington Post here, after more than a two-year investigation, federal prosecutors unveiled a 14-count indictment on Wednesday of Senator Robert Menendez, Democrat from New Jersey. Menendez faces charges for what prosecutors believe were improper efforts to help Solomon Melgin, or Melgin, I'm not even sure, a Florida-based doctor who was also a contributor to Menendez's campaigns and his longtime friend. Prosecutors allege Menendez received gifts in exchange for doing official work that benefited the doctor. 14-count federal indictment today against U.S. Senator Robert Menendez, Democrat from New Jersey, a statement put out by Common Cause late this afternoon as this uh, as this news is just breaking before we go on air here today. Uh, Common Cause uh, says the indictment returned uh, alleges a gross abuse of the public trust. While he is, of course, presumed innocent at this point, Senator Menendez should step aside from his position as ranking member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee until this matter is resolved. They say that this case highlights, again, how misguided court decisions and gridlocked Federal Election Commission have given us campaign a campaign finance system that borders on legalized bribery. Wealthy individual and corporate donors are now free to make six- and seven-figure donations to super PACs and political nonprofit groups dedicated to the election or re-election of specific candidates. While the names of those donors can be concealed from the public... They are no secret to the candidates and office holders involved with so much money at stake. Common Cause says it's not surprising to find senators and representatives paying special attention to the desires of their donors. The House and Senate, they say, need to join in reworking the campaign finance system to break their collective dependence on big money which uh, they say underscores what happened here with this indictment against U.S. Senator Robert Menendez, 14 counts. Uh, We will be keeping our eyes on that, of course. Uh, When it comes to corruption, however, indictments against sitting U.S. senators, sitting U.S. congressmen are actually quite rare. Uh, And uh, there's a question as to why that is. There are far more uh, corruption, indictments, investigations, and so forth of uh, local, uh, state, and local officials. And uh, Rick Hassan, a, a, a legal professor, law professor, uh, election law professor at UC Irvine, was writing about this recently, and uh, it kind of tees up, uh, tees up a lot that I wanted to get to today. Um, He wrote that uh, if campaign contributions lead to corruption, why do we not see more corruption in Congress? Now, when he talks about corruption in Congress, he's talking about, you know, actual investigations and uh, uh, people who are arrested, indicted and so forth. Um, He he writes, after all, members of Congress may take up to fifty four hundred dollars each election from donors. They also may set up leadership packs to take more money often used to benefit themselves. And now they can help. Super PACs raise money. Further, he writes, prosecutors in the media have a great incentive to uncover public corruption in our national legislature. Yet, we see much more public corruption prosecuted on the state and local level than in Congress. New York legislators, he writes, for example, are seven times more likely to be convicted of corruption-related offenses offenses than members of Congress. So he, uh, uh, Rick Hassan... uh, wrote an interesting uh, study 
or an essay, I should say, for the Fordham Law Review, in which he offers three possible explanations for the relatively low rates of bribery and corruption in Congress compared to what we see in so many states. Uh, he then makes suggestions for reform based on those explanations. Here are the three that, that he uh, outlines. First, he says the presence of muckraking media widely consumed by the relevant public deters corruption at the federal level. Second, thanks to gridlock, complex rules and committee structures, members of Congress may have less influence to sell than state and local officials do, and therefore there's less demand by corrupt persons and entities to bribe them. Finally, he says part-time legislators at, on the state and local level may have greater incentive to act corruptly, corruptly than uh, full-time legislators because of a need for additional money to supplement their income. So he goes through those three reasons why there might be more corruption at the state level than at the federal level, and what he comes away with uh, is that the main reason is actually the media, that there's a lot more media, there's a much bigger spotlight on uh, on Congress than there is on local and state media. He says the pre preliminary evidence supports only the first argument, that media attention is the best deterrent to corrupt to corruption and explains both the relative lack of corruption in Congress and variations and, and, and variation among the states. Based upon his analysis, he says, I suggest we deal with public corruption primarily through, and I like this part, subsidies of investigative journalism on the state level, such as ProPublica, uh, for example, does. The campaign finance problem uh, is a separate issue. It requires its own pollution, uh, solutions, he writes, but more media is needed. Well, this week we've got a couple examples of how important the media is. And that takes us to Indiana uh, and this uh, restoration of uh, religious freedom restoration act nonsense that the uh, right-wingers in the state of, uh, of Indiana have, have passed, that Governor Mike Pence, who was formerly thought to be a potential presidential uh, uh, candidate, uh, we'll, see, we'll see if that still holds up after the week that he's had, uh, where he, he, Governor, signed it out there. Uh, and then he appeared uh, on uh, Sunday, on this week, with George Stephanopoulos and... This brings me back to the media and the national spotlight. Now, you know, George Stephanopoulos, I'm sure he's a very nice guy. I've never found him to be an incredibly tough journalist. Uh, but this week, uh, on this week with George Stephanopoulos, he actually did a hell of a good job. Mike Pence was on, governor of Indiana, and Stephanopoulos was fairly relentless in trying to force an answer from the governor as far as would this new law, this Religious Freedom Restoration Act, allow uh, for people to discriminate against, let's say, uh, a gay couple who were getting married and they needed a, a florist to, or, or a caterer for the wedding. Let me give you an idea. I want uh, you, I'm sure you've heard this, but I want to focus on the media aspect here and the job, the hell of a good job that George Stephanopoulos actually did. Just pounding this question over and over to Governor Mike Pence, Republican from Indiana. Yes or no. 
if a florist in Indiana refuses to serve a gay couple uh, at their wedding, is that legal now in Indiana? George, this is this is where this debate has gone with with misinformation and uh, frankly, it's just a question, sir. Yes so, or no? Well, well, this, there's been shameless rhetoric about my state and about this law and about its intention all over the internet. People are trying to make it about one particular issue, and now you're doing that as well, sir. I'm, Look, I'm just bringing the, up the a question, message from one of your supporters. That was one of your supporters who was talking about the bill right there. It said it would protect a Christian florist. Who, uh, against any kind of punishment. Is that true or not? George, look, the, the issue here is, you know, is tolerance a two-way street or not? I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk about tolerance in this country today having to do with people on the left. Uh, and, uh, but here Indiana steps forward to protect uh, the constitutional rights and privileges of freedom of religion. And this avalanche of intolerance that's been poured on our state is just outrageous. Yes. Tolerance is a two-way street. So when you say tolerance is a two-way street, does that mean that Christians who want to refuse service or people of any other faith who want to refuse service to gays and lesbians, that it's now legal in the state of Indiana? That's a simple yes or no question. George, the, the question here is if, the, if there is Answer a government it, action or a law that an individual believes impinges on their religious liberty, they have the opportunity to go to court, and the court would evaluate the circumstance under the standards articulated in this act. That's all it is. Uh-huh. That's all it is. Uh, Stephanopoulos was asking over and over and over this question of Governor Mike Pence from Indiana. Uh, that was just a couple of examples. He asked a few more and then brought it up again at the end of the interview. He stayed on him. One fix that people have talked about is simply adding sexual orientation as a protected class under the state's civil rights laws. Will you push for that? Uh, I will not push for that. That's, uh, that's not on my agenda, and that's not been, uh, uh, that's not been an objective uh, of uh, the people of the state of Indiana. Uh, and it doesn't have anything to do with this law. Actually, that wasn't the clip I was looking for. Here he is at the end. I think it's clip number, uh, if it's not two, then it's three. Uh, here he is, Stephanopoulos, pushing Pence even further at the end to try to get a simple answer to a yes or no question. Final yes or no question, Governor. Do you think it should be legal in the state of Indiana to discriminate against gays or lesbians? George... It's a yes or no question. Your, <laughs> come on. Hoosiers don't believe Answer in discrimination. It. Yes or no, should it be legal to discriminate against gays and lesbians? George, you're, you're following the mantra of the last week online, and you're trying to make this issue about something else. That's how journalism should work. Not the way that uh, so many of them do on CNN. They throw a question out. The congressman, the, the candidate, the president, whoever it is, refuses to answer. And then they move on to another issue. Get an answer. Ask a question and get the answer. Good for George Stephanopoulos because the very next day, uh, the two top officials in the Indiana State House, House Speaker Brian Bosma and uh, Senate Leader David Long, came out and said, yeah, you know what, uh, we're going to fix this bill after all. Uh, this th came after this horrible appearance on ABC this week. Uh, <laughs> Mike Pence refusing to answer that question. And they said, yeah, you know what? Maybe we should fix this law after all. It was so embarrassing what happened yesterday on 
uh, ABC's This Week, and they were asked about it. Was it Mike Pence's uh, terrible appearance that made them uh, rethink this and think they need to do a fix for this law? Mr. Speaker, if part of the fact that you gentlemen are here today is because of the governor's performance on George Stephanopoulos this week. I think that the fact that he did not answer questions, some questions clearly, uh, yes. Yes. That's why. Because a journalist did their job. Good for him. And then Mike Pence came out the next day and, uh, and said, well, actually said, yeah, you know what? I guess we better fix this law after all. Here was a piece of Mike Pence's press conference after on Sunday saying, no, we're not going to fix this law. This law needs no changes at all. Uh, after much reflection and in consultation with leadership in the General Assembly, uh, I've come to the conclusion that it would be helpful uh, to move legislation this week that makes it clear that this law does not give businesses a right to deny services to anyone. Let me say that again. I think it would be helpful, and I'd <laughs> like to see on my desk before the end of this week, legislation uh, that is uh, added to the Religious Freedom Restoration Act in Indiana that makes it clear that this law does not give businesses a right to deny services to anyone. Was I expecting this kind of backlash? Heavens no. Heavens no. Boom. Job well done. Problem solved. Well, almost solved. We'll see. They still have to uh, create this fix and we'll see what happens. It's big news, however. It's big news that these kind of laws will no longer be tolerated. It's big news that a journalist did their uh, job in pushing these people for answers publicly in the spotlight. Now, there were also a lot of companies, obviously, uh, you know, Apple, uh, Walmart, uh, NCAA, uh, you know, performers who were canceling shows in Indiana. Um, that had a big effect. And it's interesting that uh, th these companies that, you know, Apple computer is so powerful, like so many of these industries, they are so powerful that uh, they can get a, a, a governor like Mike Pence and like these uh, Republicans. They have a supermajority in both houses in the Indiana State House that they can get them to do something that they don't want to do. So if these big companies like Apple and Walmart and so forth can get these uh, Republicans to do something they blatantly don't want to do, which is rewrite this law, when they make a public statement about this, when they're embarrassed about what they did. Imagine what these big companies can do behind closed doors. Imagine how much power these big companies have. So it was the big companies, the big corporations. It was the pressure from people uh, talking about boycotting Indiana. And, of course, it was the media doing their job for a change. I don't know which one. Maybe it was all three. Maybe you've got an idea about uh, what what really uh, tipped tipped the case in Indiana. If you do, you can give us a call, 818-985-5735. Uh, before I get to calls, however, I want to get to another story concerning uh, the media. In this case, I guess I'm the media uh, trying to hold some feet to the fire. We have been talking for a bunch of weeks, actually a bunch of months now, about uh, U.S. federal judge Mark Fuller, the uh, 2002 George W. Bush appointee who was uh, arrested last year, last August, after a 911 call from his wife, his second wife, uh, 
uh, asking for an ambulance, saying that she was being beaten in their hotel room. This is the uh, judge from uh, Alabama, federal judge from Alabama with a lifetime appointment, $200,000 a year job. He can't be removed other than by an act of Congress. Uh, He's also the one who oversaw the uh, infamous Don Siegelman trial, charade of a a trial, governor, uh, Democratic governor from Alabama, who's now locked up for six and a half years while Mark Fuller is still roaming free. He got a sweetheart deal from the from the state judge on this. All he's got to do is 24 weeks of uh, domestic counseling abuse. Well, now his attorney came out uh, a week or two ago and uh, made some claims to the New York Times. His Birmingham attorney, a fellow by the name of Barry Ragsdale, claiming that she wasn't beat at all. That, in fact, the judge was just defending himself from his wife, Kelly. That Kelly accused the judge of having an affair with their law, with his uh, law clerk. Now, mind you, Kelly Fuller used to be Kelly Gregg. She was his court bailiff. They had an affair during his first marriage uh, and got a divorce in 2012 when that wife, uh, during the uh, during the divorce proceedings, accused the judge of physically abusing her and her children. So it appears to be a pattern, and yet the judge got off the hook for now, uh, at least from these uh, criminal uh, charges in state court. But he can still be impeached. And uh, the 11th Circuit Court uh, has convened a special committee. They're taking testimony. They're looking at evidence. And their findings are going to come out soon. And the U.S. House Judiciary Committee is waiting on those findings and may begin impeachment proceedings. But in the meantime, the lawyer, Barry Ragsdale, has said, oh, uh, Kelly threw a glass at the judge, accused him of having what what he uh, describes as a, quote, imaginary affair, rushes him while he is lying on the bed before he then reaches up. This is a quote, reaches up, defending himself, grabs her by the hair and the shoulders. The judge uh, then stood up and, quote, throws her on the bed and she rolls off onto the floor and got a bloody lip. He never intended to hurt her, according to Barry Ragsdale. And that's why when the police showed up, she had lacerations on her face and so forth. Uh, That doesn't explain the 911 call, however, that uh, I obtained from the Atlanta police. We played it on this show a week or two ago. It doesn't explain... Uh, why she called in the first place to say that he was beating her. It doesn't explain those slaps, those smacks that you can hear during the phone call. Let me play you once again that phone call in full, and then I'll tell you what Barry Ragsdale, the attorney, told me about what's really happening in that phone call. This is clip number six. Atlanta 911 operator 6342. What's the location of your emergency? Hot room. Okay, what is your address? I think I'm in 918. What is the address? Uh, I'm at the Ritz Carlton. You're at the Ritz Carlton? Yes. What, what room number? I think I'm in 918. What's going on? Uh, this is domestic. Excuse me? A domestic dispute. Okay, with yourself and who else? I'm calling. I need help. What's your name? Kelly Fuller. Okay, do you need an ambulance? Yes, please. You need an ambulance too? Yes, please. Hold on. Listen closely here. 
hate you. He basically. I hate you. Ready, EMS. Oh, the address of your emergency. Kelly. Kelly. Okay. She needs an ambulance. I'm sending the police. They're in a domestic fight now at the Ritz Carlton. What, what's the um? What's, what's the one eight one Peach Tree? At the Ritz Carlton. Yes. Is there a room? Nine eighteen. She thinks she's this nine eighteen. Nine eighteen. Okay. What's the operator of six three four two? Yours. I'm seven eight three. And what's going? What did she say? She said that she's in a domestic fight, and I can hear um, him hitting her now. Oh, okay. That's what, okay. Okay. All right. I'm got somebody on the way. So that was the 911 call in full. Now Barry Ragsdale, the attorney of the federal judge who was arrested thereafter. Uh, after that encounter, after his wife, Kelly, who you heard uh, calling 911, uh, he told me, uh, he said, of course, that he, the judge was just defending himself from her attack. There is no evidence of her attack on that 911 call. He says uh, that the brief physical altercation between uh, Kelly and Judge Fuller was over before she ever called 911. That's what uh, the attorney told me. Uh, you can read the whole thing at Bradblog. She says he says it is not surprising, therefore, that the 911 audio does not record Kelly Fuller's assault, assault on Judge Fuller, including throwing the glass or the attack on Judge Fuller while he was in bed watching television. He tells me Judge Fuller was not hitting her when she made her alcohol-infused claim on the 911 call. He says that we are wrong to, quote, assume that the slaps that you think you hear on the 911 call are evidence that Judge Fuller was hitting Kelly Fuller uh, while she was on the phone with the dispatchers. He says that those uh, slap sounds were not caused by the judge uh, hitting her. I asked him, well, then what are those slap sounds? He says, this is the attorney for Judge Fuller, tells uh, Bradblog.com, I personally believe they were an attempt by Kelly Fuller to imitate the sounds of slapping. But they could also be random background noises produced by someone who was intoxicated and hysterical. So uh, the judge's defense here is that the wife was drunk, was hysterical. That the slapping, the beating that you think you hear on that 911 call, it never happened at all. It's your imagination. Or it was Kelly Fuller trying to make it sound like she was being beaten. Okay. You can hear that full 911 call, and you can get the rest of Judge Fuller's response uh, at bradblog.com in our exclusive on that this week. I suspect there will be more in the days ahead. I've been speaking to some folks in Congress. I think there will be. I know there will be uh, more uh, in the weeks ahead. Before we go to a quick break and come back to your calls on this and much more, uh, I want to play uh, clip number eight. This is from um, Ultraviolet, a, uh, uh, an online community of over 600,000 women and men who want to take collective action to expose and fight sexism in the public sector, private sector, and the media. They are now airing public service announcements in five different states targeting uh, Republican members of the U.S. House Judiciary Committee asking for uh, uh, impeachment proceedings to begin. They're airing these in Wisconsin, Ohio, Texas, California, and Virginia. 
Uh, here's an idea of the one that is targeting uh, Congressman Goodlatte, uh, the chair of the U.S. House Judiciary Committee uh, from Virginia. This is now airing in Virginia. Okay, do you need an ambulance? Yes, please. Federal Judge Mark Fuller was arrested for violently assaulting his wife. He will face no trial. He will spend no time in jail. Unless he is impeached by Congress, he will face no consequences. Only impeachment can bring justice to this abusive judge. Call Congressman Goodlatte at 202 225 5431 and tell him there's no place for abusers on the federal bench. Impeach Mark Fuller. Paid for by Ultraviolet. Good for ultraviolet, uh, holding some feet to the fire. Uh, if, in fact, Judge Fuller is innocent, that's fine. Let's have impeachment hearings. Let's allow him to make his case. Let's allow Kelly Fuller to make her case. Let's allow all of the evidence to come out in this matter. As I have promised, I will stay on this case, even while the media seems to be uh, looking the other way during much of this, ignoring this information, ignoring the 911 call, ignoring this explanation from Barry Ragsdale, we will stay on it. Want to get to a quick break here and take your calls. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. And oh yeah, should we have mandatory voting? Um, I say no, except under one condition. All of that and much more as the broadcast continues. Stay with us. Standing up at the gates of hell. This is Brad Friedman on KPFK and other fine networks. This is your Bradcast. Welcome back to it. You can tweet me here if you like at the Brad blog or you can call us 818-985-5735 if you have any thoughts on uh, any of that uh, Judge Fuller business, any of the Bob Menendez business, the corruption business, any of the Indiana uh, Mike Pence business and whether journalists are doing their jobs here. Before we go to your calls, 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Very quickly, um, Barack Obama, President Barack Obama was in Cleveland a week or so ago. He was asked about big money in politics and what would be done about it. And he suggested he did not call for this as many have been misreporting, but he suggested uh, that getting more people to vote would be a good idea, including potentially mandatory voting. Here's what the president said. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be making it harder to vote. We should be making it easier to vote. And, and the notion that this day and age we would be deliberately trying to restrict the franchise makes no sense. And I th at the state and local levels, that's, you can push back against that and make sure that we're expanding the franchise, not, not restricting it. Um, in Australia and some other countries, there's mandatory voting. It, it, would be, it would be transformative if everybody voted. That would counteract money more than anything. If, if everybody voted, 
then it would completely change the political map in this country. And he's absolutely right. It would. It would completely change the map. It would be game over for bad guys if everyone voted. That said, I believe in the right to not vote. If you don't want to vote, don't vote. If you think you're making a, a statement about the, the people who are on the ballot uh, or about the system itself, and you think that uh, not voting somehow gets that message across, I believe you should have that right. I think it's the stupidest protest ever. I think it is absolutely meaningless the way uh, that it's done. When people don't vote, I think they're only hurting themselves. They're making it easy for the bad guys. But if, uh, you should have that right if you want it. That said, a lot of people do like mandatory voting. And here I'm going to make a compromise. I'm going to be nothing if not pragmatic. I will agree to mandatory voting. Everybody must vote so long as you put a none of the above option on every single race on the ballot. And if none of the above wins, we hold a new election with completely different candidates. What do you think? You think that's a good idea? That's my compromise. I am nothing if uh, not willing to uh, to compromise. 818-985-5735. Should we have mandatory voting? Uh, should we not have mandatory voting? Or should we have it but include none of the above on every single race? 818-985-KPFK. Let's go to D in Pasadena. Hey, D. Welcome to the broadcast. Hey, thanks for, for actually putting all this out here. And yes, we should have mandatory voting because we need to participate in the political process. We need to understand who we're, the fact that I, I like Australia's uh, system where you actually get a fine if you uh, do not vote. I think that's something we need to do here. It will make people learn about what they have to vote for. And if you have none of the above and do the election over, then that may not exactly get it. That's almost like a third candidate, um, third party. Yeah, well, what, what, why not, Dave? Really make it. What? Well, third parties, don't, they don't get enough votes. That's why. So we really need to understand what we're voting for. We need to do the research, Google the names that are being uh, put out there or that are running for candidacy. D, let me ask you, yeah. why, 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 what's wrong with the none of the above option? If you vote because none it, of the above? Under, it, it, it falls under the uh, uh, almost like a third party. If uh -huh. not enough people go for the not uh, uh, not an option, you know, I mean, not a uh, none of the above. Yeah. Then it's almost like a third party. Well, yeah, but you, but, but, as, uh, because you believe that this other this uh, party is going to win. Now, just like with with Ralph Nader, it, uh, the votes got split uh, between Nader and uh, Gore. And no, they did actually. Actually, no, they didn't. D, I, I, well, I'm not, not split, yeah. but you know. But in other words, yeah. a lot of people that would have voted for Gore voted uh -huh. for Nader, and you know, and 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 understandably so. Nader was a great person. But that's and, uh, D, and I want to get to a bunch of other people. And I'm short on time, so let me just say, if you believe we should have mandatory voting because yeah. it's important for democracy, and if the majority of the people want none of the people on that ballot, I don't understand what would be wrong with that. That if you're really concerned about the majority as opposed to helping Democrats win, it seems like you'd be in favor of that. Actually, I'm a very progressive person. I understand. Very progressive. Okay. I, mean, I, I don't I don't care for Hillary Clinton. I think she's too uh, okay. Wall Street uh, minded. Um, I hope uh, I'm hopeful, uh, hoping for a Bernie Sanders. Uh huh. You know because I think he has our best interests. So in so none of the above would seem to work, D. 
Actually, no, you need to, you need to okay. go for something. You have to stand for something. All right. Well, I stand for a better candidate than the yes, ones that they may I be do. giving us, and that's how you could get it. Dee, I, I appreciate your call. I don't okay. mean to cut you off. I just right. want to get to a bunch more people, okay. uh, a lot right. of people lining up. Thanks, Dee. I re- really appreciate it. Uh, let me get to uh, Habu in uh, Ma- uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Habu, welcome to the broadcast. Yeah, h- hello to you, and thank you for the opportunity. Um, you know, you know, uh, I, I, I want to just say one thing about voting, but before that, you know, it, it is refreshing to see these um, journalists have some uh, some intestinal fortitude yeah, right. when they talk about this matter. Yeah. But 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 I wonder why they don't use the same uh, uh, you know uh, uh, passion when 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 they're questioning people about going to war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I wonder that too, and that's why we need to keep calling them out uh, when they don't, and then uh, frankly, uh, call uh, you know naming them when they do, when they do do a good job, so they understand sure. what the hell it's like. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, I I haven't voted in six years, even when I after voting religiously every time there was a primary and secondary, and and I've come to the conclusion that the whole system is rigged. Now, uh, you know, you say you have a certain thing about none of the above. But, you know, let me just say this. This whole notion about, you know, voting is almost become like a fetish, especially when, the, you know, what is considered the ballot are really empty, completely empty. And, you know, let me just say something uh, about the uh, um, you ask Ralph Nader, he'll tell you all about it, how hard it was for third parties to get on the ballot, yeah. the, the, the two states have conspired against the, 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 uh, uh, any other outsider coming in. And so I don't want to be told by any, uh, an, uh, an, you know, any government official, uh, uh, you've got to go and vote. That's well, the last thing I want. Well, how about if there was a none of the above option on the ballot, Habu, that you could vote for and that none of those guys would actually win? But but that already happened. You know, in November, only sixty-seven percent showed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but no, 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 no. Sixty-seven percent didn't show up. I, no, I understand 67%. that. But but if if more people had, well, if everyone had showed up and the majority said none of the above, we would have to hold a different election with different candidates. Perhaps, uh, but but, okay. but you know, sixty-seven percent of the elected of 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 uh, eligible voters not yeah. showing up is a strong statement. I, I guess so. I don't think it's a statement. I hear you, uh, Habu, but I don't think it's a statement that uh, the politicians hear. They're fine. They they don't mind it at all when uh, when people don't show up. It works great for them. Uh, let me get to uh, thanks, Habu. I really do appreciate the call. Let me get to Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, greetings from the hood, uh, uh, Professor uh, George. Had better be careful because you know journalists, whistleblowers, hackers, and dissidents are at risk. And the, uh, uh, what Judge Fuller should have pleaded for his defense should have been uh, affluenza. Okay, works for the elites all the time. Yes. I'm surprised that the attorney didn't pull it out of their, their hat. Oh, he, oh he, he has. He's, you know, that was his uh, defense in, in state court. Please, uh, I've never done this before. You can trust me. I'm a federal judge. And that's kind of how he got off the hook there. And, and I want to leave you with this because I, I have a whole lot of respect for, for voting. Uh, it says, I'm voting and I know what you think. Every time you cast a ballot, the machine's going to cheat. I'm voting. I learned a lesson. Republicans, they lend a hand in voter suppression. I'm voting. The machines are hacked. We could thank Brad Friedman for sharing the facts. I'm voting. You see, I got me a plan. We're going to count the paper ballots. going to count them by hand. 
Thank you, Brad. Talk to you later. Well done, Morris. Thank you. That was awesome. Uh, Desi, uh, please record that. We'll use it in our next Brad Blog commercial. Next Brad Blog commercial in our first one ever. Let's go to Denise in uh, Pasadena. Hey, Denise, welcome to the Bradcast. Thank you so much. Do you have a song? I think that you are It's a fabulous idea with the um, None of the Above. I think it's an amazingly good idea. We we have an oligarchy that is running this country now, that is running the candidates, the, the campaign financing that's going on. The choices that we are being given are pretty much their choices. The only way that the citizenry can make those people understand what is going on is by a civil protest. And the only, the best civil protest that we can make is the one that you're saying. Yeah. To go to the polls and say none of the above. Right, because, because they ignore you. They're not going to listen. They're right. not going to listen otherwise. Yep. Unless we show up in masses, masses. Folks do vote now. Mm-hmm. But if the masses that who are not voting show up and vote, None of the above. Yeah. It's going to throw a monkey wrench into their work. Yeah, you know, and, and the, the previous caller who was saying that, uh, oh, uh, you know, not voting, uh, we already have only 67 percent. That was a huge turnout, frankly. That was a presidential election. Out here in, uh, you know, L.A., we have these uh, municipal, these local, these state elections where we get like 14, 15 percent showing up. Nobody is showing up already. No. And the politicians don't give a damn. So this way. None of the above, we send them a message. Oh, it's a great message. Thanks, Denise. It's a terrific message. And if you're going to go for this, I'm on board with you. And we'll be out there doing whatever you need to get this going. Thank you, Denise. That's good. I got one and a song. I appreciate it. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Our our lines are filling up, and we got to get to Desi Toyin with a funny. Put put the funny Green News report on, Des, because we could use it today. Let's go to Sean in Santa Barbara, who is uh, not in favor of mandatory voting. Hey, Sean, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, how you doing? I'm okay. Yeah, I'm not for mandatory voting at all. Um, that's, you know, not going to do anything beneficial in my view. The None of the above, um, that doesn't do anything beneficial in my view either. Um, you know, you get these people with big money up there. You too, you don't want them to throw them out. You get the next group with the big money and the corporate backing or whatever, the, you know, foreign interest or whatever. So I'm actually for uh, less voting overall, less democracy is better in my view, um, because usually democracy means you're voting to take something from someone or you restrict someone's rights. Voting is rarely ever to, you know, increase liberty. So anarchy, An- just whatever you want to do, uh, we just let people decide what they want to do when, whenever they want to do it. Is that what you're calling for? Yeah. What you're thinking of Mad Maxing it's um, I'm a follower of volunteerism, which is, you know, respecting everyone's rights, you know, so you can do whatever you want as long as it's within the framework of not violating anyone else's rights. So I'm a volunteer. Okay. Thank you, Libertar- the uh, libertarian view there. Uh, let me go to... Uh, anonymous. I think this is an. Uh, is this the famous anonymous from yes. uh, L.A. Uh, Redondo B. Okay, what's up, anonymous? I, you know, I love you very much because I called it the Thanksgiving show. Oh, okay. But Thank first, you. Let me say that um, I am with you all the way on none of the above. 
Okay. Uh, I think that's a brilliant idea and should definitely be implemented. And I'm with Denise 100% on that. Thank you very much, Anonymous. I don't know why you're written as Anonymous, but I'm going to thank you and move on because uh, there's a lot of people who want to I mean, both agree. Can I just agree. say one quick thing? Really quick. Okay. Hillary Clinton, I know you did that interview a couple weeks ago with the guy who came on for top of the show. And we can't have Hillary. I know we need a Democrat, but we got to back Bernie. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I I do appreciate that. We'll talk more about that in the future. Let me go to uh, Allison very quickly. I'm going to try to hit some people. Desi, stand by. Go really quickly. Uh, Allison uh, from Pasadena, welcome to the broadcast. Brad, just want to say it's a great idea. I'm glad to actually hear it in the mainstream. I've been ranting about this to my friends for years. Yeah. Um, mandatory voting may work. I think we should expand the voting period and do some other things before mandatory voting, but I get your point. But I think we need to have an option to send the candidates back and regroup and maybe even consider shorter election cycles. There you go. None of the above. Thank you, Allison. I appreciate that. Let me go to uh, Bob in, where's Bob? L.A. Hey, Bob, welcome to the broadcast. Very quickly, your thought. Okay, I don't think we should have mandatory voting. Actually, what we should do is have a national holiday, get rid of President's Day, and all they have to do is to get paid for it is to just show that they voted. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate that. Let me go to Victor in Burbank. Desi, stand by. Brad, good afternoon. And I have to agree with you. You are, it's revolutionary, it's brilliant, and I agree with Bob, who just found up. No President's Day, forget that. And no mandatory voting. And with Denise, and I'm just completely on board with you. This is absolutely genius. We have it on test. You like the you like the none of the above option. None of the above. We have it on everything else, on every other type of testing where we can actually click or uh, circle in none of the above except for voting. That, Are you kidding me? Thank this you, is genius. Thank, thank you, Brad. Thank you, Victor. I appreciate it. Uh, do we have one more? Well, hang on. Maybe we'll have uh, after the Green News report. But we got to get to it. Let's do the Green News report here real quick. Oh, Desi. The phone lines are lighting up for some reason here today. I know we're not going to get to everybody. <laughs> Hang on if you're there. Maybe we'll have some on the back end of the Green News Report on a big day. Mandatory water uh, requirements. I don't even want to call them rationing. Uh, restrictions. restrictions uh, here in California. But uh, we need a laugh break. So yes. let's do not our latest <laughs> Green News Report, but the one from just a day or two prior. I think this is late last week's Green News Report. Buckle up. Today, the global warming alarmists are the equivalent of the flat earthers. Climate denier Ted Cruz compares himself to Galileo. They are literally lying about climate change, but they keep getting funding. Not anymore. BP breaks up with Alec. Texas Town goes 100% renewable because it's cheaper. Plus... What issue was that? Uh, the issue that you mentioned earlier regarding... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Florida. State employee struggles with Governor Rick Scott's ban on the words climate change. All of those hysterical stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comments. We couldn't talk about why the water was getting hotter. At some point it was mentioned that sea level rise was to be referred to as nuisance flooding. Ah, yes! Nuisance flooding moisture inconvenience 
statewide jacuzification. This is your Green News Report. It appears by 2020, Miami will be involved in a surprise pool party. Okay, Dizzy Doyen, sometimes it's difficult to find the humor in all of this. <laughs> not this week. This is not one of those weeks. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I love this story out of Florida. But before we get to it, I know, speaking of hysterical, yeah. Ted Cruz. Yep. Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz, a prominent climate science denier who is now running for president in 2016. In an interview with the Texas Tribune, he compared himself to Galileo. Today, the global warming alarmists are the equivalent of the flat earthers. You know, it used to be, it is accepted scientific wisdom, the earth is flat, and this heretic named Galileo was branded a denier. Okay, so first, it was not scientific wisdom, it was church doctrine. Galileo didn't deny science, he denied church doctrine. So Cruz has this all backwards. Straight out of the denier playbook. It's called the Galileo Gambit. But you know, he is getting a lot of attention for his blatant science denial this week. And yes, thanks to you, and, giving it to him. <laughs> well, I think he's probably also getting a lot of campaign donations from all the people who are fooled by the science denial industry. And now in Florida, Florida's Republican governor, Rick Scott, is still insisting that there is no official ban against state employees saying the words climate change or global warming. Yet, in the state <laughs> legislature, Florida's director of emergency management, Brian Kuhn, really tried hard to do just that. Brian Kuhn, director of Florida FEMA, is speaking to a legislator in the Florida State Senate and he's tying himself into knots trying to not say climate change. Are you familiar with the new uh, procedures that FEMA is issued just this week dealing with uh, climate change? My understanding is at this point is it will require that future versions of our mitigation plan will be required to have uh, language discussing that issue. What issue is that? Uh, the issue that you mentioned earlier regarding... Uh, <laughs> And everyone, all of the legislators, just start cracking up at this guy who won't say the word climate change. Just a few days ago, we covered a story in which a Florida official did say climate change. And what happened to him? He was suspended and ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation. Unbelievable what is going on down in Florida right now. It looks like climate change could be a thing in the 2016 presidential elections after being ignored in the 2012 presidential election. For now... The mainstream media are holding feet to the fire. They seem to be reporting on Ted Cruz denialism and what's going on down in Florida. So this is, let's call it a positive development. Yeah, and more positive developments. The rest of the world seems to be ignoring Republicans. Oil giant BP this week became the third major fossil fuel company to sever ties with ALEC, the right-wing American Legislative Exchange Council that works to block climate change policy at the state level. More good news. China's capital of Beijing is breaking up with coal and will shut down all of its remaining coal plants within the year, switching instead to cheaper, cleaner natural gas. Wow, not crazy about natural gas, but it's better than coal. And in the U.S., the coal industry is in terminal decline, according to energy analysts, as power plants switch to cheaper, cleaner natural gas. Bloomberg reports that at least 24 U.S. coal companies have gone bankrupt in the last three years. And the ones that haven't, 
their market value is down more than 80%. France is going green with green roofs. New legislation requires all new roofs on all new commercial buildings to install either solar panels or green roofs with gardens because it reduces energy costs. In the heart of oil country, in Texas, the city of Georgetown is going 100% renewable, getting all of its energy from a local solar farm because city officials say solar is cheaper and less volatile than fossil fuel prices. But beating them all is Costa Rica, which has been running on 100% renewable energy since December, using primarily hydroelectric power. Some unusually good and or funny green news today. Thank you, Desi Doyen. For much more on all of the stories we covered and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Well done, Desi Doyen. Thank you very much. Uh, My thanks to those of you on the phone lines who I just couldn't get to. (sighs) I'm sorry about that. We will try again very soon to open up the phone lines. Uh, Thanks for hanging in there. Uh, You'll also have to stop by bradblog.com to read the story about James O'Keefe losing in court once again. Yes, James O'Keefe is still a loser. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to G, our soundboard operator. We'll be back, same Brad time, same Brad channel next week. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters at TheBradBlog and, of course, at BradBlog.com. Good luck, world.